1: This is the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Halpin.
2: Hey, everybody, it's John Halpin. Welcome to the Thursday, September 20th edition of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Fanball. Derek Van Riper and I are going to preview all the games for week three. First, big news Carson Wentz back for the Eagles with. No, Mike Wallace. No, Alshon Jeffrey. Probably no Jay Ajayi, and probably no Darren Sproles. Jordan Matthews might even be back. Who was kind of what was he sitting on a couch?
1: Yeah, after a year in Buffalo, where some things happened.
2: <laughs> what? What, what, the, what makes people say things like that? I mean, I have too much of a filter, but people who have no filter like that. I mean, it's not like he said anything ridiculous. Here, but what Jay, Jordan Matthews said is basically that it, it, they had a baby because he was in Buffalo for a year and there was nothing else to do. I mean, you know, it's not, yeah. a, not like this shocking thing he said. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that something like that would ever come out of my mouth.
1: Uh, it literally <laughs> was something that my uncle said at my brother's wedding. No more than two months ago, he was sitting at a table with my wife uh, and my, my in-laws and I was at the head table. I was the best man. But my uncle happened to be the other half of that table with my in-laws, and he went through his whole life story, and you know, he got a PhD, and I think he got it in Madison, actually. Then he moved to Arkansas for a while, and that's, that's why I have cousins, and he said that in those exact words. He said, there was nothing to do with Arkansas, so uh, Sarah and Brendan were born. So my <laughs> uncle is a lot like Jordan Matthews in exactly one way, and that he's willing to say that. Awesome.
2: That's great. Um, all right, so back to Carson Wentz. How do you, what do you do this week with him? If you have me, so he's coming back and theoretically fine. His weapons are pretty, it's, it doesn't look great, it, but it's the Colts, which does look great. Like I, I find myself fading Carson Wentz this week if I own him. I'd rather get another week out of whoever else I have as long as the matchup's not terrible.
1: Yeah, cause because if you drafted Carson Wentz, you probably drafted it back up a little bit earlier. So as long as you aren't leaning on, you know, Marcus Mariota or someone who's hurt or really, struggling as that QB, two, I think you're right because of this circumstances, you know, with the, the lack of weapons and, you know, this being the first game back from a torn ACL for Wentz, he hasn't gone through this before the way that Deshaun Watson has. And I know people are going to say, well, Watson didn't have a first game back that was very good against New England. The Patriots had seen that before. And I think they game planned a lot better because of that. So I think with Carson Wentz, it's an easy... Look at the backup in season long. Look at the waiver wire in season long. If you have to start him, it could be worse. And then from like a daily perspective, I'm probably not rolling him out there even as a tournament option this week because I just don't think the offensive output is going to be as great as we were seeing on a per-game basis from the jump given the circumstances.
2: All right. I'm going to go to the Yahoo ownership percentages. Ask if you would stream Player X over Carson Wentz. Derek Carr. Yes. Blake Bortles.
1: Hmm, Bortles, no. All
2: right. These guys are under 40% on Yahoo, by the way. Uh, Carr was 39, Bortles 36, Andy Dalton 32.
1: Dalton, I, 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 for some reason, I'm like believing in the Bengals, which is never, ever safe. No. Um, Dalton is a no for me at Carolina. I, I, I don't think there's a, an advantage playing him over Carson Wentz. It's weird. It's weird looking at Bortles and Dalton coming off the games they had last week and saying you know, that you don't necessarily want to play them over Carson Wentz, but uh, both are in more difficult road situations this week, or I should say uh, in Bortles' case. He's just in a matchup where I don't think they're going to have to throw it that much. I think the Jags are going to be able to keep Tennessee very quiet offensively, and you know, the volume we saw last week from Bortles probably won't be there, and it's going to be more of a ground-heavy attack in that matchup.
2: All right. How about Tyrod?
1: Tyrod against the Jets short week home. I, I could see that that one's that one's that's probably where the line is. Like if I were doing the value meter like Jeff does, I'd probably have Wentz and Taylor within a spot or two of each other. So I, I guess you could do that.
2: Okay, that's it. I'm not going to go through the whole list, but that's that's a good gauge of where we are. I think with Carson Wentz. All right, folks, check us out on Twitter as always. Please, uh, Derek is at Derek Van Riper. I'm at Jay Helping Thirty Seven. The Rotowire accounts at Rotowire General Stuff at Rotowire NFL for the player news feed, and you can find us on Facebook. All right, let's go to Jets-Browns. More Antonio Callaway. Could you start Antonio Callaway?
1: Yeah, I think so. The snap count was up quite a bit last week, and I was pretty interested to see this on uh, the next-gen stats. Callaway, I believe, is second behind only Tyreek Hill for the fastest measured speed on the field this season. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting area that doesn't get a lot of attention yet because they haven't really made... All of that, all that data public or easily accessible yet. Right. Um, so with Callaway, it's like I've said this before. If you go to the trouble of giving a guy a second chance, you're going to play that guy. And yeah. now that Josh Gordon's out of the picture, it's not even really a leap of faith that they're going to do it. It just seems like kind of connect the dots that he has to play a lot more. Uh, Jarvis Landry's a little bit banged up as well, so I think that might inch up Callaway's target volume just a little bit. All
2: right. Uh, the other guy I want to talk about in this game. Carlos Hyde, so his attempt's bad. Sorry, his attempt's good. 38, he's averaging less than three yards a carry, bad, but a touchdown in each game, good. So where are we, Carlos Hyde? Is is he a yay or a do I have to? Where is he?
1: I think he's more of a do I have to. I mean, I think the lack of efficiency is a big concern. And I saw some stats last night. Since losing Ryan Shazier, last season that Steelers defense is nothing to write home about so sure volume is encouraging but the thing that made Carlos Hyde cheap throughout draft season is the presence of what looks like a more talented rookie in Nick Chubb who could overtake him for that job so Hyde for me is still kind of a a flex consideration maybe a very low-end RB two. but you're looking at it and saying how long are they going to be patient with him if the efficiency remains this bad
2: okay um, Hi i have let's see where I have him eighteenth this week, and hang on, I want to see where the rotor wire projections have him this week. We are in oh he's low twenty four standard there you go forty five rushing yards so that's that's not inspiring at all. All no. right, Saints-Falcons, uh, possible shootout here. Vegas thinks it will be. Is there anyone in this game that you like less than the crowd does?
1: No, not really. I, mean, I think the Saints defense is revealing itself to be the pre 2017 version where they're just going to struggle to stop everybody. And with that, you get the shootout potential every single week, whether they're at home or not. I think Atlanta has enough offensive weapons uh, to create mismatches even after – Julio Jones, so uh, I just think this is a really nice setup, you know, with things being cleaned up in the backfield with no Devonta Freeman. Uh, Tevin Coleman's going to get a heavy workload uh, on the Saints side. You know, Alvin Kamara is kind of the focal point of that offense right now, and Michael Thomas is just next level, uh, so you're starting guys like that anyway. I think where it gets really dicey is when you get down to the Ted Ginn line, maybe even Kelvin Ridley in deeper leagues. Guys like that, you kind of think, okay, like, what's the ceiling – in this construct, Kelvin Ridley was pretty much a ghost in week one against the Eagles. He played fewer snaps in week two, got five targets, pulled in four of them, had 64 yards and a touchdown. So I think it's a little bit tempting to look at Kelvin Ridley as maybe a wide receiver three. If you're banged up at that position this week.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, I like Kelvin Ridley and I like the way they went, they went back to him last week to, like you said, they'd get him more involved. That was pretty good. Okay. Um, not Edo Smith though. We're not in on that. Would you pick up Edo Smith?
1: I guess you could justify it, but he's going to be one of the first cuts you make in the next few weeks as Devonta Freeman gets healthier. I mean, I just I don't I don't see a ton to like with him so long as Coleman's around as a timeshare back. I just think there's there are a few better options that you would probably consider first on your wire in most leagues. Right.
2: OK. Yeah. I mean, I thought when he got the ball last week, I was kind of going, oh, wow, he's pretty good. Uh, so, I mean, he was a guy you never considered because they already had two backs in front of him. Yeah,
1: I mean, really productive player in college at Southern Miss and, you know, maybe a guy that got a little overlooked in this draft class, but uh, I think they will kind of steer away from the Freeman-Coleman split with Freeman out, and I think it'll be, you know, 80% Coleman and 20% Smith or something along those lines, and that just isn't a player you can rely on in a lot of formats. Uh, You know, fishbowl-type leagues, of course, you're picking them up in those ultra-deep leagues, but it's... To me, there's not much that separates, like, Ito Smith from Spencer Ware, right? Like, if they're both on the waiver wire and you're trying to decide, well, who's the better flyer to stash on my bench, I would lean towards Ware because I think the Chiefs' offense is just that much more explosive. And if the right thing happened, if Hunt were to get hurt, that would lead Spencer Ware to more value than Ito Smith would have if something were to happen to Tevin Coleman because eventually Devonta Freeman would be back.
2: Okay. 49ers Chiefs is next. Is the over-under up to 100 on this yet? I haven't checked.
1: I saw fifty six and a half yesterday. <laughs> That's
2: awesome. Every Chiefs game. i I did. I say to you or Tim the other day, I want to go. I want to go over. I just want to do a blanket over on the Chiefs for the rest of the year. every week. Yeah, just go. Just good. Yeah, <laughs> be fun because they're. Just, you know, when when it goes low, then they'll just you know score forty again, and they won't be able to stop anybody. So everybody is everybody's attention is on Mahomes. Everybody's all over him. He's going to be probably be used like crazy in DFS this week. Well deserved. He's better than we all thought, and a lot of us thought he was a decent sleeper. Jimmy G in this game is in a really good fantasy spot.
1: Yeah, he is. I think it's a little bit like the Saints effect where you look at this defense in Kansas City and think, well, they're not going to stop anybody. So who's playing the Chiefs this week? You know, that's kind of the second question, maybe the first question you want to ask when you start building out a DFS lineup. And with Garoppolo, you know, the setup in week one at Minnesota, a very tough road matchup. Home against Detroit last week, the completion percentage jumped up quite a bit. The turnovers went away. Uh, I think we're still looking at a guy that's less polished than we realized, but I think even a league average quarterback can put up monster numbers against this current iteration of the Chiefs defense. Yep. And even even if you're not good you might put up big volume numbers because the Chiefs just seem like they're going to score at will for a while until defenses start to find some ways to slow them down just a little bit. And I I don't know if that's going to happen all year. I mean, they, they are looking uh, like the Mike Martz Rams, you know, like the the greatest show on turf. They're, they're like laying the sort of foundation that makes you wonder if they have a chance of being that kind of offense this season.
2: Wouldn't you love looking ahead – would you take a Rams Chiefs Super Bowl right now
1: Yeah, I mean if I if I can't just put the Packers in there with well, a yeah, healthy no. Aaron Rodgers, but yeah, yeah, I mean a Rams Chiefs Super Bowl would be outstanding from from a matchup standpoint. And I I want teams that are creative and and fun offensively with explosive players and, and both of those teams check all those boxes. All right.
2: What do you what's your advice right now to somewhat disappointed Kareem Hunt owners.
1: I'd say be happy that you have the lead back in what looks like maybe the best offense in the league, because the production is going to be there eventually. Uh, you know, Mahomes isn't going to average five touchdown passes a game all season. He's not going to throw 80. They're going to get into the red zone. They're going to get close. They're going to hand the ball off. He's got 34 carries to the first two games. Uh, the only thing I'm a little worried about with Hunt is that they just haven't been helping the ball off. And, I know that was kind of like the the dream scenario last year for Hunt, with Alex Smith being much more willing to check it down. Uh, but eventually teams are, are going to kind of forget about Hunt in the short passing game, and I think that's when Andy Reid's going to make that sort of tactical adjustment. So even that, that lack of uh, receptions to this point, which is a concern, uh, it becomes less of one for me in the next few weeks. they got a few tough defenses coming up after this week. Uh, they're at Denver. They get Jacksonville at home in Week 5. And they catch Denver again in Week 8. I think as you look at some of those matchups, you're gonna see Hunt more involved as a pass catcher because he'll have to be.
2: Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. It's it's we I, I I'm still okay if I own Hunt, but I really wish they would throw throw him the ball more, but like you said, hopefully they they fix that. Okay, Raiders, Dolphins. Um, since we you and I like Seinfeld references, do you love the Drake this week? I love the Drake.
1: I love the Drake this week. Usually I hate the Drake. Um I hated the Drake during draft season, but there are definitely gonna be spots for For DFS, where I use him, there's going to be a couple season-long leagues where he's in my lineup pretty much every week because he was an early-round pick and he gets plenty of work. The thing I like about Kenyon Drake is that he's already caught seven passes in these first two weeks. Miami is starved for high-end talent at wide receiver, so just by necessity, they're going to have to lean pretty heavily on their short passing game. So even though Frank Gore's had more of a role than expected, I know he looked pretty good in week one. and. And that impressed some people, and you know it's a great story for a 35 year old to keep playing at that level. He took a pretty big step back; was under three yards for carry last week against the Jets. He's only caught one pass in these first two games, so I think what you're looking at is you know, Drake getting 60 percent of the carries right now, and like 95 percent of the catches out of the backfield. And that that carry workload could easily increase quickly if Gore's efficiency continues to lag the way it did me too
2: okay by the way the rotor wire projections this week have drake as the number 12 running back for the week which is about where i am so uh yeah i like him a lot all right bills vikings so this is what the spread is 16 and a half 17 whatever you do you do you make it a point to stay away from games like that with such a big point spread or in this cases like this you look and go yeah good i'm fine
1: yeah, so I mean, from a, a spread pick standpoint, I hate these games the most because I feel like the book is just daring you to take the side you don't want to take the the big dog because you, they're they're getting so many points and uh, I am tempted to go ahead and take Buffalo this week. I know going on going on Josh Allen as a, a guy that could uh, just come out and throw a bunch of picks against a good defense like that's that's legitimately uh, a possibility, right? I mean, he's he's experienced and this is one of the league's best defenses but i'm looking at minnesota and you know as, as much as they uh, out out man the bills pretty much at every position on the field i think the bills can do enough in garbage time to keep it within like 10 or 13 so yeah sure Minnesota's a great survivor pick and the bills probably don't do enough to be relied upon as a, a garbage time offense in DFS, but from a, a pick standpoint, that's just a ton of points. You just don't see lines like that, especially this early in the season.
2: Right. Um, so the, because this game could be a blowout I you said the Bills could keep, basically they could make it respectable late, but it doesn't sound like you're gonna, they're going to keep it close all the way through. Where are you on Dalvin Cook? Like you look at the Vikings here and Dalvin Cook, after Sunday's game, he said, oh, you know, he came out of the game and they said hamstring and he said, no, no, it's just cramps. So then Wednesday, he didn't practice. And now you go, all right, what do I do with this guy? You look at this game. It appears to be a great spot, but how guarded are you because because it's such a great spot and because I think it might be a blowout? Maybe the Vikings say, yeah, you know, I think we're going to give him another week off.
1: Yeah, I think they can just run him lightly if he's feeling good enough. Hazel disagrees. She, Hazel. Uh, she, she thinks Delvin Cook should be in your DFS lineups. But I, I think because they have a backup they like in Latavius Murray— you know, you have, to, you have to be smart about it. The problem is, in season-long leagues, your best option on the bench might be a timeshare back otherwise, and one that might not be on the team that's projected to score as much as the Vikings this week. I mean, when you calculate the numbers, the Vikings are still supposed to put up 28 points with ease this week. The overrunner's only 41, but they're 16.5-point favorites. So they're the third-highest scoring offense of the week based on the implied totals. So I think while Cook ordinarily would be an RB1, a guy that you lock in and don't even think twice about, as long as he's practicing by Friday, I think he plays enough where you can use him and you just you feel okay about it in season long, but you are tempering the expectations uh, because they could easily back off him in the second half if they're protecting that big lead.
2: All right. Um, the other thing, I am looking at a picture of LaShawn McCoy from practice today uh, in pads with a big red non-contact jersey. So it looks like he's going to give it a go this week Packers Redskins. So what did you think? How did you think Rogers looked last week?
1: Better than I expected because I thought he would be even less mobile. There were a couple of times where he had to take off and uh, it actually was a surprisingly mobile and effective. Rogers certainly not like fully healthy version, but less hobbled than I expected. Uh, this was a weird game. I, I had to listen to about the first three quarters of it as it was happening driving back from a wedding, and then watch the fourth quarter live, and at that time, you know, the Vikings had started to move the ball really well late in that game, and it was just kind of the Packers defense trying not to, to break, and then of course the Clay Matthews bogus uh, roughing the passer penalty, which irritated me to no end, but uh, I came away seeing Rodgers as being further along than I expected, so I don't know. I don't know how much he's going to be hobbled by this for how long. I don't know if it's going to be four more weeks where he looks like he did against the Vikings, but going up against the team with such a good pass rush and being able to move as much as he did, to me, was a positive.
2: Okay. What do you make of the backfield situation this week? We've got Aaron Jones had his two-game suspension. That's over. Some people think – I don't recall where you were on this – that he might be the best option in that backfield. Mike McCarthy said this week, well – we're going to work him back in. You know, he's behind uh, Jamal Williams and Ty Montgomery, so it might take a little bit. You know, it was sort of a, hey, don't expect too much too soon about Aaron Jones. What do you think the play is, A, this week, B, long-term?
1: Long-term, I think he could overtake the backfield, but I think especially with Rodgers' hobble, Jamal Williams in pass protection, Ty Montgomery in pass protection, you know, if, if they're better in that facet than Aaron Jones – That is going to limit the number of snaps he gets. Now, in some early down, pretty obvious run situations, sure, I I can see Aaron Jones uh, ending up on the field more than people will expect. I think he's kind of a a reach as a flex play this week. But if you drafted him at the discount, you're happy he's back, and you're hoping McCarthy's bluffing a little bit. (laughs) McCarthy just kind of strikes me as the parent that would always threaten to do something and never actually do it. Like That just kind of seems like McCarthy's M.O., (laughs) Hazel's got to calm down. <laughs> hey, 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 relax. I know you're upset about the Packers' backfield. I am too.
2: Hazel hates Mike McCarthy as much as all the rest of you up there do.
1: It's contagious. Um, she's, she's heard me say some really bad things about McCarthy, and I'm worried about keeping her quiet on that. But nevertheless, I mean, I, I think Aaron Jones is going to be a more useful fantasy asset than Ty Montgomery. I just think Montgomery is more of a matchup play. And the question is as Rodgers heals, Will they entrust Jones to be out there in more passing situations because they believe Rodgers can escape pressure more effectively? Like that's kind of the the moving target now that we have to deal with. That when Jones initially, you know, was suspended when the season began, we weren't worried about a compromised Aaron Rodgers not being able to move quite as well as he ordinarily would.
2: All right over to the Redskins, real quick. We have seen two completely different teams in two weeks. What, what, what do you? What are they for you?
1: Well, they surprised the heck out of me in week one, yeah. and I thought, okay, they'll handle the Colts capably, because the Colts' defense is so bad, and offensively, they really laid an egg last week. I was skeptical of Adrian Peterson coming off that week one performance, a little bit like I was with Frank Gore, where it's like, yeah, sure, you're in your earlier mid-30s, you're feeling great in week one, but you're going to feel exponentially worse every single week. It's the recovery that I think breaks old players down. It becomes more difficult to bounce back week in and week out, so... You know, Peterson kind of falling on his face last week doesn't completely surprise me. Game scripts can change things on him pretty quickly. Where I'm really torn on Washington is just how good of a coach is Jake Rudin and how quickly can he make the kinds of adjustments to that offense that will make Alex Smith effective week in and week out. The yardage was there for the second straight week. The completion percentage was high. But the efficiency was actually pretty low. He threw it 46 times for 292 yards, only 6.3 YPA. And part of the problem, I think, with this Redskins offense is just that they don't have a lot of explosive playmakers. I mean, I think as long as Jordan Reed is healthy, Alex Smith is kind of that safe, middle-of-the-pack quarterback. But if he loses that safety blanket for any stretch, I think that's where things could really start to fall apart for Washington's passing game.
2: Okay. Bengals-Panthers. How much do you like Gio Bernard in this spot? Marvin Lewis said, well, Geo and Mark Walton, who was inactive last week, um, you know, break, break glass in case of emergency with the lead head, tailback hurt. Gio's going to be busy. Panthers run defense is pretty solid. But Gio can catch the ball, so he'll probably be on the field a decent amount. What do you what do? You, do, you, do, you, do you like him this year? If you have him and if you stashed him, are you looking forward to playing him? Or is it another one you go, well, I guess.
1: I'm looking forward to it from a volume standpoint because I just think he's going to get a huge share of the work. Mark Walton, I mean, who who could tell me where Mark Walton went to school and who could tell me anything about Mark Walton? Nothing. Like, no, nobody. Nobody I know other than maybe McKechnie or, or Mario. But I don't see any reason to believe they would give him more than, you know, a couple of snaps in the entire game. So I think Bernard's going to be heavily used. And even though Carolina's defense is good, as you said, I think this is a good spot value-wise uh, on the DF sites. The salary's not pumped up that much. Any setting where you're getting even a half-point PPR, I think Gio Bernard is pretty easily a top-15 running back for me this week because he's going to get probably 15 carries and four or five catches with the potential for more if the Bengals have a lead in this game.
2: All right, so Mark Walton, by the way. Oh, yeah, he went to Miami. Right. But if you look at his Rotowire player page, everybody, by the way, all the measurables, 40-yard dash weak, vertical jump poor, bench press weak, height, weight, below average, arm, like below, there's a a lot of, the metrics don't like him, let's put it that way,
1: so. Yeah, that's not encouraging, and he he only played five games last year, so he must have been hurt in college, but uh, he's powerful, according to our player outlook, low center of gravity, more of just an inside the tackle sort of guy, so you could see where that's kind of the opposite of what Gio Bernard is as a runner, so if there's like a. A third and short situation where they want the more physical back, maybe Walton gets those opportunities. But even like goal line carries, you sort of wonder, how much does Marvin Lewis trust Mark Walton? How much does Bill Lazor trust Mark Walton with valuable goal line carries? And until they go that route, I'm not going to worry about Walton's presence in that backfield as the more physically imposing runner.
2: I totally agree that they're not going to trust him there. Also, by the way, the Roto-Wire projections, Gio Bernard 14th running back for the week. The projections here, 49 rushing yards, but more importantly, five catches for 45 yards receiving. That's a big number.
1: Yeah, and I was not, looking not compared at... Not last uh, week
2: with all the guys catching you know, 13 passes, but it's still pretty good.
1: Yeah, it's nuts. Like McCaffrey and some of those other pass-catching backs right now are just going crazy. But uh, Bernard, I think, if you look at some of the you know dollars-per-point metrics, looking at wire projections versus DFS prices, Bernard's going to come up as one of the most... Uh, most valuable backs you can get this week just because the price didn't get jumped up all that much uh, in the wake of Mixon's injury
2: okay everybody let's talk about the new daily fantasy site fanball for a second the number one issue I hear from people who try DFS is that it's almost impossible to win for the casual player too many sharks out there with 150 lineups And you basically have no shot if you want to play a lineup or two for fun. And that's where fanball comes in. If the name rings a bell, it's the same folks behind the season-long site from back in the day. Paul Charchian, uh, who happens to be the president of the Fantasy Sports Trade Association, has brought back the fanball name. But this time it's a DFS site. And he's looking to level the playing field by enforcing low entry limits. In fact, I'm looking at the lobby right now. And most lineups anyone can have in a contest is just Ten. That's a huge difference maker. Plus, they have snake drafts, which are a lot of fun. And I'm told auctions are coming very soon as well. Head over to fanball.com slash rotowire. Sign up now and make a deposit of at least $10. And we will give you a six-month membership to rotowire. Again, that's fanball.com slash rotowire. All right. Let's get back to Titans Jags. Looks like Fournette is going to play. Marcus Mariota saying things like, well, it's still hard to grip the ball. That's kind of a problem.
1: That's a huge problem, and even if he plays, it's against the Jags defense, so you're not really excited about his output anyway, and I, I mean, I think this is the kind of thing where you look at the Jags defense, and season long, you're happy you have them every week, and DFS, you're probably paying the freight, you're probably just saying, you know what, it's the Jags, they're the chalk, uh, Minnesota at home, similar price on most sides, I mean, they're 47 and 4600 on Fanball, respectively. To me, it's kind of a coin flip as to which one of those defense puts more points on the board this week. But both should be excellent. And I mean, Blame Gabbert. Like this is like a revenge game for the Jags defense against Blaine Gabbert. Like it's <laughs> the Jags franchise gets revenge on Gabbert on Sunday. Like that's that's crazy.
2: That is crazy. Alright, so I'm guessing. So if Gabbert plays, you look at Titans and you go, No, thank you, everybody. I'm benching all of you, right? Is that fair? Even Lewis and Henry.
1: Yeah, I mean, Lewis. Lewis is probably the player that I feel the best about on that roster right now, because in a scenario where they're playing catch-up, he's going to be on the field more than Henry, You know, trying to escape pressure. They're going to be dumping the ball off a little bit. So I think the setup for Lewis probably makes more sense than most of the other players in this offense, and I'm definitely less excited about him this week than I would be in a typical matchup. So I could see it as a flex in PPR, but... Otherwise, I'm looking really closely at my alternatives to Deion Lewis this week.
2: All right. and do, What changes if Mariota plays? Do you look back at Corey Davis or someone like that?
1: Yeah, I think if, if Mariota's out there, you could think about Corey Davis, but I, I felt like people were overdrafting Corey Davis this draft season, and it wasn't because he's not talented. I, I buy into the fact that Corey Davis has the size and speed and all the physical traits you're really looking for. In a potential number one receiver, where I was struggling to buy in was that this team, if it's running correctly, is going to be a ground first offense, even even with the change in coordinators. And then beyond that, you know, Rashard Matthews was healthy by the end of camp. Uh, Delaney Walker going down certainly opens up more targets for somebody. But I just wondered if this was a team that wasn't going to put the ball in the air enough to make Davis uh, like a wide receiver too, which is what he was being treated as in a lot of the drafts that I was in.
2: All right let's see Broncos Ravens
1: what do we do with the Broncos backfield here? I'm stunned by what's happened here. I thought the Philip Lindsay chasing and Fab last week was silly and he comes out and goes over a hundred total yards again. so I, I I just wonder like what what happened with Royce Freeman what <laughs> happened with Lindsay in practice why do they? Why do they see it this way? Because everything we heard about Royce Freeman was so positive coming out of camp. He only played 16 snaps last week. And that game right. was pretty close throughout, right? I mean, Denver yeah. was down in the second half, but it wasn't, wasn't a blowout scenario.
2: Agreed. Right. So, yeah, I don't know, I don't know what you do. I, I get, if you, So if you have Lindsey, if you picked him up, you play him. Freeman, you can't play now. You have to sit and wait. But you don't cut yet. So.
1: Definitely not a cut. I, I'm, I might play him in my Superflex this week. I, I still... I, I kind of went cheap at running back, so... I don't know. It's kind of between... Bre- I, I guess I'd play Matt Breida against the Chiefs over Royce Freeman this week. That's, that's my alternative in that particular instance, but... There might be some owners out there that still have to play Royce Freeman and just hope that the workload ticks up from where it was uh, in these last couple games. I mean, I... I hope this is not the norm where if Denver does fall behind, they just lean really heavily on Lindsey. I didn't see this coming at all. And I don't really know if I've heard anybody or seen anybody who pointed to this and said, no, I told you so. Philip Lindsey was going to be the guy in, in Denver. Right? We all right. thought Devontae Booker was the backup, right? Like that was That was what we thought this backfield was going to look like.
2: Bummer. Huge bummer. All right, the other side of this game. Are you on the? I feel like a guy I've been reading a lot about and getting asked a lot about is John Brown, and there's a lot to like so far, but I I just I have this big skepticism of him. Understandably, I'm not the only one of him being able to stay healthy. I mean, if you're just taking a shot at him and hoping it works out, yeah, of course. But but I look, you know, people like, hey, what do you think of him? Should I cut, you know, decent wide receiver three name to be determined. For John Brown, I'm going, mm, I, don't, I don't think so. I wouldn't do that.
1: I liked Brown because the draft day price was low. And the thing I would keep in mind is that you know, in week one, it was only four targets against Buffalo, but they were up big. So that's a light target volume. Last week when they were playing from behind, he got up to 10. And it just seems like that rapport that was reported uh, with Joe Flacco throughout the preseason and training camp is is very real. I mean, he's just a heavily targeted piece of this offense and, when they needed to try and rally back against the Bengals, he was a big part of what they were trying to do. So uh, I think your concerns about Brown's health are completely warranted, and he's shown us what he can do with 100 targets when healthy in the past. So I think you kind of look at him and say the, the ceiling is what he did back in 2015, if he's healthy, but the, the big question is, well, if he's, if he's healthy right now, is he going to be healthy two, three, four weeks from now? And we just don't know. So if you have him, I think you can comfortably play him as a wide receiver three. Uh, if you're trying to pick him up, you, you know who you're cutting for him. That's really interesting because, I mean, like who who are people asking you about with Brown? Like I, I, I think I drafted him in enough of my leagues where I didn't go pick him up anywhere because I either had him or somebody scooped him up right away after that score in week one.
2: I had someone ask me about Robbie Anderson. Hmm.
1: It's pretty interesting. Robbie Anderson, another guy that I liked, he cost a lot more than Brown on draft day. Anderson uh, because noon was had a larger role than expected, I, I think I would probably make that move. Right. It's not wow. it's not a slam dunk, but it's it's at least in the, the range of something that you should strongly consider.
2: Yeah, I'd still keep Anderson. That's the thing. I but I look at that and I go, No, nah, after two games I'm not I'm not out on Robbie Anderson to that extent. And John Brown seems to me like someone who will probably disappoint,
1: but I don't know. That's it's hard. I, I love that big playability we were seeing from Anderson. Yeah, really throughout the last two seasons. I mean, twenty-seven catches out of one hundred and five that went for two or twenty-plus yards. I mean, he's he's a really talented guy that doesn't necessarily need that high volume, much like John Brown to be productive. So. It's kind of a question of which passing game do you feel more comfortable with right now—the Ravens or the Jets?
2: Uh, that's a good question because it's pretty close. I don't know. I don't know. Th- I don't know if I can answer that easily.
1: So that's, prob- that's probably why this is such a good toss-up, though. I yeah, mean, you look I get. Darnold is a young player that has a lot of upside. That's going to probably go through some growing pains this year. Flacco seems to be healthy at least, even though I still question how good he really is um you know he's at least got the arm strength again to maybe take advantage of the speed that brown brings to the table uh, but yeah there was a big gap between anderson and brown back on draft day for me that gap is closed i think they're they're going to be in the same range if i were ranking wide receivers for the rest of the season they'd both be probably in like the 35 to 40 range where they're not they're not necessarily locks to play every single week as your third receiver but they're not far from it okay
2: uh, Giants Texans is up next. Do you have any shares of Saquon?
1: I don't. I didn't end up with any mid first round picks, so it just never, yep. never broke down that way. And I guess if I could do it again, I wonder if I would just take him straight up over David Johnson. Like if I had the third pick or something, and Gurley and Zeke, or you know, in a world where Le'Veon Bell weren't holding out, if those two guys were gone, like, would Barkley creep up my board? Or if, let's say Gurley and Kamara were gone. They'd probably be the first two right now. Would Barkley pass David Johnson? Are you ready to give up on the Arizona offense? Or are you ready to buy into what Barkley's done, You know, having a big game on the ground, thanks to that big carry against Jacksonville, and then, of course, the 14 catches on Sunday night? Or do you look at the Giants and say, this is kind of like the Arizona problem. There's still major flaws here, even though there's more impressive... You know, younger elite skill position talent on that giant's roster.
2: All right. So what so where where are you? What camp are you in there? Because you look at Barkley and overall the production's good. Especially if you're in PPR last week was phenomenal. But you look at it and you go, All right. I mean you look you look at the Dallas game in particular. No, actually both. So the Jags game, it was all in one big run. Mm-hmm. And then the Cowboys game, well he couldn't run and they threw to him so many times because Eli wouldn't spend more than half a second looking down the field. And it was a dump off behind the line of scrimmage to where this guy couldn't get anything going. You say, well, I mean, do you look at it and say, obviously he's a, a guy you're going to play every week. It's not what I'm saying. But but are, are you so far you're satisfied with the numbers, but is the underlying stuff a little more alarming than the numbers
1: would indicate? So I think it cancels out to where if we were drafting again for the rest of the season, Barkley's still going like fifth or sixth off the board for mm-hmm. me because the usage is exactly what you had hoped for. You know, 20 touches in week one, 25 touches in week two. That's been as advertised. Jacksonville was a tough matchup for him, but he, he has that, that wiggle, that elusiveness that you're looking for in the back that can make things happen sometimes when there's not a lot in terms of good blocking. Uh, but yeah, on the flip side, you are concerned about the Giants' offensive line. You're concerned about Eli just not being able to lead this offense down the field and put him in the red zone very often. Um, so I'm looking at Barkley, and I'm saying the stock you know, hasn't really moved, even though usage is as expected. Uh, the Giants might be a little worse overall offensively than a lot of us had hoped. All right.
2: Um, what do you think? Of, are we done underrating Will Fuller now? Should we be?
1: I hope so. I, I liked where you could get him. I think people were torn because no one expected the touchdown efficiency we saw last year to come come back. I mean, it couldn't. That's just impossible to sustain. But uh, looking at what he did against Tennessee in that first game back off the injury, eight for 113, a touchdown, nine targets, two of those catches for 20-plus yards, it just seems like he's so dangerous after the catch. He has uh, a lot of ability just to create some separation. And he gets to play opposite DeAndre Hopkins, so the, the coverages he'll see are always going to be more favorable than they'd be if you were a number one receiver somewhere else. So I think with all that, Will Fuller's probably one of the biggest risers for me coming out of Week 2 as a guy that was kind of lumped in with Cooper Cup and, and maybe even Robbie Anderson in some leagues. Like, some people look at Robbie Anderson and Will Fuller and say, well... Fuller's got a few injuries, Anderson, suspension issues, but there's not that much that separates them. They're just big play guys that, that are going to be volatile week to week. I don't think Fuller's going to be as volatile as some people had thought uh, because I think when you look at Houston's offense, it's a pretty skinny tree right now. Yeah,
2: and Deshaun Watson seems to really like him, which is half the battle. So, um, Chargers-Rams. Melvin Gordon is a high-volume RB1. You could argue about his efficiency and all that, but they throw to him. They run him a lot. They run him in the goal line. He's a busy guy, and you're happy with him if you have him. Can a guy that – can a backfield that busy also support support Austin Eckler? I mean, the last two weeks would suggest yes, but moving forward, how should we look at him?
1: I think we have to be really, really careful when a team catches the Chiefs and – We have to look at that matchup and say, all right, that was a pretty unique set of circumstances where players that ordinarily wouldn't be on the field as much had to get on the field because there were more obvious passing situations and there were just more plays run in general. I mean that's that's one of the the things I think it's gonna happen in those Chiefs matchups. So with Eckler, you know, he gets the the high scoring shootout, then he gets a team in Buffalo that you don't need to overwork Melvin Gordon to win that game. So then Eckler gets more snaps than expected there. I think what he's shown us is that he's a good player. Like he's he's a guy that can step up and be a league-winning sort of stash or pickup in the event of a Melvin Gordon injury because uh, we saw it last year. You know, the per carry numbers were impressive. The per catch numbers were impressive, and he's kind of picked up right where he left off. So my concern with Eckler is that week to week the game plan isn't going to have him getting even. 16 touches like he had last week i think he's more likely to get six to eight touches in the typical game plan i think you're going to see more typical game plans both in week three on the road against the rams and in week four when they return home against san francisco
2: all right um yeah i'm, I'm a little i'm not sure about him i like him and i think he's good i think he could eat into gordon a little bit but um we'll see bears cardinals so steve wilkes says more david johnson do you believe him
1: guess i i can only hope that they realize that that's their best chance of winning games this year is to make david johnson uh the focal point of their offense which you kind of thought he already was and week (laughs) one 14 touches like in a game they lost like what what was that all about like he he was on the field for 36 snaps uh we saw 16 total touches last week 13 carries uh, or i should say 14 total touches out of the yards. One catch for three yards. How how strange how is that? How does that, that happen? Like, I don't know. I don't know how you don't just get him out in space more often, especially with Sam Bradford playing quarterback. Right? How, like it's, it's just like the Kareem Hunt usage by the Chiefs last year with Alex Smith. How does David Johnson not catch four or five passes every single week? He should be pacing out to be an 80-catch guy with no problem. And in week one, that was the case, but he wasn't getting the carries. I think they're going to figure it out because getting the ball to the running back is pretty much the easiest thing for an offensive <laughs> coordinator to do. How bad is this offense though, as a whole? How dysfunctional is this team? Like, it, what what kind of rock bottom did the Cardinals have? I think they were the team coming into the season. I didn't know what to expect from them. I didn't know if Wilkes would be good if, they'd, if they played great defense and if Mike McCoy as their offensive coordinator would end up having you know a surprisingly useful offense. But it's a lot of moving parts, and Fitz is dinged up right now. So you have to think that David Johnson this week has one of those games where we're looking at you know, kind of like the Barkley game log or the McCaffrey game log and saying, whoa, they threw the ball to David Johnson 11 times this week. <laughs> like, it, how, how else are they going to control the Bears' pass rush if they don't have a plan to get David Johnson the ball on screens?
2: I agree. I mean, you should be trying to do that against anyone, but I, yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, the other side of the ball in that game, are you concerned do you, are you are you a Trey Burton owner in many places?
1: I think I only got him in one league and the image in my head when you bring up Trey Burton is Burton in week one against the Packers yep. like 20 yards downfield just waving his hands in the end zone because he is wide open and Mitch trubisky, I think was like locked in on Howard or Cohen or somebody else just dumping the ball off and you're kind of like all right the good news is. He was open, which means he's big and fast and he ran a good route, or Nagy designed a good play, or both. The bad news is, is Mitchell Trubisky didn't see it, but <laughs> I think we have to be patient with Burton and the other Bears pass catchers, because the John Fox Bears did not run an NFL offense, and they did not let Mitch Trubisky really learn how to be an NFL passer. So, yeah, he has a year of experience, but it's not necessarily beneficial experience so i think there's still going to be rookie like growing pains for trubisky this year and we're going to see that in burton's production uh where i think it's it's really difficult is you you look at how he he could have been more productive in week one six targets only one catch i mean again he was wide open for a potential touchdown and, and he got ignored it gets tricky because they have so many weapons that that's the biggest surprise for me with the bears. It's Howard, it's Cohen, yeah. it's Allen Robinson, it's Anthony Miller, it's Burton. They can't spread the ball around. And if they're not as good throwing the ball as we expected, maybe they have a more balanced offense. Maybe it's a little more of a Jordan Howard show than anticipated. And that kind of drags everybody down a little bit and chips away at Burton's ceiling over the course of the year. I think that's where you have to get concerned is that right now, everybody's kind of healthy in that offense.
2: Do you like Trubisky?
1: I do. I, mean, I think because they traded up to get him and probably didn't have to, like he gets graded on a strange curve. I like that. He's, he's actually pretty mobile. And I think he's going to figure some things out. Didn't make a ton of mistakes that final year at North Carolina. Uh, I think there's enough there where the bears can look at him and say, yeah, we have our guy. We have, we have what looks like at least a league average quarterback, maybe something more than that with the defense we have. That's probably enough. So, yeah, I, I like Trubisky. Uh, I think he's just going to be you know, a QB two you plug in in certain matchups this year. Uh, he fits well with like a really high end quarterback. So you only play him two, three, four times when a really tough matchup and like a bye week comes about. But overall, I do like Trubisky.
2: Yeah, I do too. I like the. I, I saw someone brought up a comp a couple of weeks ago that I liked, and I know we can overdo it with comp stuff sometimes, but Alex Smith. I thought it was yeah. interesting. Maybe it's because Nagy was there and all that, but but I think there's an interesting. You know, he he runs similarly. They try to keep the 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 passes and high percentage zones and things like that. It just it seemed like an interesting comparison to me.
1: So very reasonable comp, and it it took Alex Smith some time to really find his footing in the NFL. In part because there were uh, several coaching changes and coordinator changes for him in San Francisco. The Bears should have a little more continuity with that. I mean, I think. Two weeks into the Matt Nagy era in Chicago, you're feeling good about your coaching staff. Yep. I mean, better than you have in, in a while if you're a Bears fan. So I, I think with that, that kind of gives you a little extra confidence that Nagy's going to find a way to get as much as he can out of Trubisky and uh, his you know, experience with Alex Smith should be very helpful as Trubisky makes those adjustments this year. All right.
2: Next up, Cowboys Seahawks. So, Looking at this game, fantasy starters, Ezekiel Elliott, Russell Wilson, and who?
1: Tyler Lockett. All
2: right. That was a hesitant announcement of his name.
1: Well, I, I like him as a player. He scored back-to-back weeks, You know, got seven targets. Uh, I'm, I'm so worried about that offensive line. It just seems like Seattle is still dreadful in that facet, and that's going to cost them at a lot of turns. But uh, ultimately, Tyler Lockett's their number one receiver right now. He seems to have a good rapport with Wilson. He has the speed to get downfield and make big plays. Already has two catches that have gone for 20-plus this season. So I'm pretty encouraged overall by what Tyler Lockett has done, and especially with Baldwin out, I think he's a pretty safe start at wide receiver almost every week.
2: Okay. What about um, – well, not Cole Beasley. I'm not going to say that. What do you make of what they did with the backfield last week, with with Penny getting more work and – Pete Carroll saying, well, Carson was gassed because of the, he was on too many special
1: team snaps. That's absurd. And, <laughs> I mean, spe- how, how many special team snaps were there? Like, that's like 12? Like, there's not that many.
2: There's not that many. Hold on. I'm going to actually look up how many snaps Carson was on. Special teams. Does, does
1: Pete Carroll think that we don't understand how conditioning works? Nah, only
2: two special team snaps, according to this. Wow.
1: So... Wow. So was that a thinly veiled criticism of Chris Carson? Is that Maybe. what that amounts to? Maybe.
2: I don't know. That's weird. That was just a weird comment in that whole situation of why he didn't play. So all right, next up, Pat's Lions. So, so the backfields here. First let's go to the Lions backfield first. Karrion <clears throat> Johnson outsnapped Legarrett Blunt by quite a bit last week, right? Karrion Johnson, hold on. I'm going to take a look at the snap numbers now. Karrion Johnson, there's too many Johnsons here is basically where we are on the name search on Rotoir. That's. Uh, I would like to throw that in there. Nothing we can do about it, really, have, unless we get people to change their names. But So Karrion Johnson last week, eight carries for 43 yards on 36 snaps. LeGarrette Blunt was eight carries, 38 yards on 17 snaps. Do you look at the snap count and go, bam, that's what I've been waiting for. Is it is it as simple as that?
1: Yeah, because I, I think with with on Johnson, there's just more he can do than Garrett Blunt can do at this stage of his career. Um, the page everyone should use, by the way, it's the NFL team trends page on yep. RotoWire. You can got to go through and you can see it week over week. And I like to see that. I like to see that evolution. Kind of runs the schedule across the top and. It gives you a good indicator, too. Like, oh, Theo Riddick had a 59% snap share in week one. You think back about that game for a second, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. They were down like 70 in the first half. So Theo Riddick had to get 59% of the snaps because it was a million passing downs uh, throughout that game. Uh, but I like that tool because it just it, it's good. It's a good snapshot. And you can click over like red zone opportunities, different things like that. Uh, Johnson's the back. If I were going to play one running back for the Lions this week, He'd edge out Theo Riddick. I mean, I think the Patriots are going to move the ball with ease. Uh, if anybody understands what Matt Patricia wants to do defensively, it would be Bill Belichick. Um, so I'm not really worried at all about New England uh, putting points on the board. I think it's just a matter of how much do you think the Lions can get off the mat? Can they, can they avoid another meltdown that like they had in week one? Yeah, probably. How do they do it? Well, one way to do it is to have a, a ball control sort of offense where – it's a short intermediate passing game and carry on Johnson running the ball a lot as they try to just keep Tom Brady off the field. I think that's the best approach the Lions can take if they want any chance of pulling the upset and winning this game.
2: Okay, the Pats backfield now. So Sony Michelle came back last week. What was it, 10 carries for 30-some yards? I have a team that basically I was drafting running backs middle and late, and i I needed a wide receiver the other day. It's a 12-teamer. You, know, you know, you can cut certain... There's some people that, you know, you can't cut in every league, but you can cut there. And I start staring at Rex Burkhead. And I'm going, you know, Michelle's back. James White is there. Is the window closed? And part, I was looking and going, am I just keeping him because he's on the Patriots? And that something good might
1: happen. But I don't know when it'll happen.
2: What What is is Burkhead expendable at this point?
1: I think you're stuck with him if you drafted him because you drafted him so early and that's not the sole reason, but you're also stuck with him because you know that when injuries and bye weeks happen, when the Patriots lose one of Michelle or white at some point, Burkhead's going to take on a larger role then. And then when you have bye weeks in your lineups, you're going to feel better about Burkhead as a three headed monster back in new England. And you're going to feel about some of the backup running backs elsewhere Um, So I think he's still worth holding on to. I I think he's been playing dinged up. I think that's part of the problem. Kind of interested to see how much more they give Sonny Michel here in week three. He had 42% of the carries last week. Uh, Burkhead was at 25%. and I think uh, James White was at 17%. And that counts Brady having a few runs that weren't necessarily what I'd call designed runs. So uh, I'm encouraged by Sonny Michel. I don't think I'm cutting Rex Burkhead yet. Uh, in, in full PPR leagues, I think they're still going to find situations where he's got good matchups outside. He goes out and runs a route from the slot, things like that, and he actually ends up being pretty productive at various points this season. I mean, keep it keep it on the upcoming schedule too before you cut somebody. I think yeah. that's the general advice I'd give people. Like at Detroit, not a terrible setup for Burkhead, but I probably wouldn't play him this week. They might back off and let him rest. They get three in a row at home: Miami, Indy, and KC. I think by the time you get to that KC game, especially, you're going to have bye weeks, other injuries in your roster. You're going to want to play a Rex Burkhead against the Chiefs because I'm sure there is a great matchup for him against some underwhelming player in that Chiefs defense.
2: All right, other thing, Josh Gordon. Do you do you think we're going to see Josh Gordon on Sunday?
1: It sounds like he'll play and have some some limited packages. So whether it's 15, 20 snaps, you know, that's that's kind of up in the air, but. Uh, I I don't know where I would draw the line like who like who would I play Josh Gordon over this season is is, or this week. Right. It's kind of the the tricky thing. I mean, everyone's making a big deal because they put his locker next to Tom Brady's and I I get it. I mean, it makes sense. He's always been talented and the Patriots don't have a player who can do some of the things that he can do. So uh, I'm intrigued by the landing spot, but I'm probably not using him in DFS or in season long leagues for week three.
2: Yeah. I, I, I'm looking at my rankings. My line is down somewhere around Ted Ginn, who's in the forties. That's as that's this, this highest. You know what I mean? Other than that, and even then I'd have a hard time with it,
1: but yeah, I mean, especially with the way the saints Falcons game is supposed to play out. I mean, the Patriots should have a decent lead and then be in a position to run Michelle a lot if they want to this week. So uh, I, I would say you're excited if you drafted Gordon early and he ends up in New England, but you're also a little bit wary of just how much he'll actually play this first game for the Patriots.
2: All right, finally, Monday night, Steelers-Bucks. Another high over-under, 50, 52, 53. I forget where that one landed. Um, it's over 50. Are you buying Jesse James? I've been getting a lot of questions about him, too.
1: No, Vance McDonald is still there. Uh, you know, Juju and Antonio Brown are the... The main weapons in the passing game and I, I just I, I think with James it was just the, the Chiefs effect that we talked about earlier, you know, getting Kansas City, getting a situation where you have to throw it a lot more than you normally do. Roles shift a little bit and um, I think the other thing you can get duped with with Jesse James is that you know, his snap counts can be a little high because of his ability as a blocker sometimes. So you gotta worry about that kind of skewing things. So no, I'm not I'm not looking at Jesse James and expecting more of the same. I mean he's a two tight end league kind of guy, but I don't think I'm picking him up in, in like a more traditional format.
2: All right. Are you starting Fitz? Have you got him?
1: Yeah, I, I'm definitely thinking about it. I mean, Fitz over Wentz is something I would do if, if that was the, yep. that was the backup that you had to Carson Wentz. Maybe you drafted someone else, made that move. I, I'm more comfortable with Ryan Fitzpatrick this week because I think, the you know, Bucks Steelers should be uh, a 50 plus over under total game where both offenses can go off
2: all right um that's it that's covering all the games we'll uh i know tim and i'll talk about more about the monday game on monday morning Derek, what else we got going on
1: a little bit of everything we got a dfs pod dfs centric episode coming out later today Uh, all the rankings are up on the site jeff's value meter those get an update on fridays of course get ask an expert uh, and all the dfs tools so everything you need to be ready you know we got you covered
2: all right folks uh, Listeners to this podcast get a free 10 day RotoWire trial, RotoWire.com slash pod. No credit card needed. So you can check out almost all the features on RotoWire. Take a look now, RotoWire.com slash pod. If you like the podcast, leave a review and a rating. We ask every day. Please do it. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this edition of the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Fanball. We'll be back on Friday. Derek and I will be here to catch up on the latest news, notes, and send you off to the weekend in good shape. For Derek and Hazel, I'm John. See you next time.